Now let's begin. fellow podcast listener and Star Trek fan. My name is Chris Lockhart. I am the host of this podcast, and this is Trek 1701, a Star Trek podcast. This is one of the Beta Crew episodes, and I am not alone. I am joined here by the Beta Crew, so in no particular order, I'm going to introduce everybody. And first up, we have Stephanie. How's it going, Stephanie? Fantastic. Ready for the new year. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and next up, we have Ray. How's it going, Ray? Hello, it's going well. Awesome. And last but not least, we have Ragnar. How's it going, Ragnar? Well, it's uh, going quite well, everyone. Hello out there. So, um, if I remember correctly, Stephanie, you're from the Edmonton area, I believe? I am, yes. And Ray, you're in Saskatchewan, right? That is unfortunately quite true, yes. Right, and, and Ragnar's, in it. but but we're but we're all joined together by the common coldness that has enveloped our our lovely country. Um, yes. So it 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 hit up to like I think minus twenty two in my area. Is it about the same for you guys? Yeah, it was about minus twenty in the city today. Hmm? Yeah, uh, with with the wind chill, it was minus forty five. I think was the worst we had here. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about the wind chill. Like it must have been like close to minus thirty with the wind chill. But um, well, that's but, that's what it is today. When so today I went outside without a coat on, and it was so nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy how you know 10 degrees difference makes all the difference sometimes mm-hmm. um but yeah i guess it is january and we were very spoiled to have such a mild winter leading up to now but i kind of miss that I, I i'm not climatized to this minus 30 and 40 and minus 50 um stuff i'm just i'm just not i'm i'm not ready for it like i can't handle it anymore and I used to be a winter. I used to be a winter guy. I used to love winter. I used to love skidooing. I used to love hockey. You know, like I was all about the winter. But in my adult years, you know, having to drive to work, having to deal with you know snow plows and unplowed roads and and you know um, you know uh, engine heaters not working or plugins you know that seemingly die at some point during the night 
you know, I just, uh, I'm not a winter guy anymore. I, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to potentially winning the lottery and, and wintering somewhere else. Um, but sadly, like I was, like I saw in the news tonight that, uh, somebody won the 70 million in Alberta, but not in the Calgary Edmonton area. So I thought, yeah. well, well, I might have a chance. Uh, but no, it wasn't Damn. me. That would have been awesome. <laughs> what? Well, I thought, well, maybe this is a sign because normally the the news doesn't report on lottery winning. So I was like, oh, maybe this is a sign. I haven't checked my ticket today, but yeah, no, nope, nope. So I am stuck here in this deep freeze. But they say it's supposed to warm up, so shouldn't complain too much, I guess. Um, but anywho. Uh, speaking of cold, on this show, we talk about, uh, Star Trek primarily, which takes place in space when it's pretty close, pretty cold. Uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about a difference. You know, I, I, I refer to this show as a different Star Trek. Um, kind of like in the way I refer to Babylon 5 as like a distant cousin of Star Trek. Uh, this show we're talking about tonight is the Orville. And rather than, like our plan is uh, to do a, you know, do a season by season rewatch and, and we'll comment on the episodes. Um, but for tonight's episode, uh, I want to do a, like a series overview where we just talk about the show uh, in general. And then... Uh, you know, we'll come back to watching season one. I'm thinking in like two months, like in March, we'll do our season one review. Um, that, that'll give me a couple months to catch up. Because I totally intended to, to rewatch The Orville in preparation for talking about it, but I haven't had the chance. Um, but hopefully in t within the two-month time window that I've just laid out, I'll at least get season one. Um, so let's go around the table. Um, did you watch, like for myself, like I watched the Orville when it, when it originally aired. Uh, I remember watching the first episode when it came out on Fox, um, basically based on, uh, Seth MacFarlane because, uh, I, I'm an admirer of Seth MacFarlane, even though I, even though I haven't watched like Family Guy and American Dad in, in years, um, I still appreciate his humor and, and, you know, and the movies he has done. Um, so when I heard that not only, um, was Seth MacFarlane invo involved in the Orville and starring in it, uh, but, um, uh, John, um, oh, I'm blanking on it. John Favreau was directing it and also Brandon Braga was helping to produce it. He was one of the producers slash writers of TNG, uh, Voyager, and Enterprise. So, you know, a good pedigree. And then, yeah, some of the other cast members I, I, I seen on other stuff. I was like, I'm going to check this out, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Ray, did you? when did you get into watching the Orville? I think pretty quickly after uh, when it first aired, at first, it was sort of a kind of a, well, we, when we, uh, my husband and I kind of heard it announced and saw some trailers mm -hmm. for it. I think my initial, like, 
expectation was that I would kind of hate watch it a little and roll my eyes because I wasn't expecting it to be good. I was kind of expecting like, oh, right, Seth MacFarlane does Star Trek. Okay, sure, let, let, let's watch this, right? And uh, yeah, very quickly, it, it far exceeded my low expectations or prejudices for what it would be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I've said this before. I think when, when we were talking to our, uh, our friend Curtis about this, because uh, he hadn't watched it, and I think it was Ragnar and I were telling him, like, man, you got to watch this show. Uh, and then, because I think he, um, yeah, thought it was going to be like a parody, kind, you know, like that type of show. And it, it kind of was a parody of Star Trek, I think, in the beginning. But I think Seth MacFarlane just did that to get it on the air. I think that's how he sold the show. Um to the executives because you know they're used to him being a funny guy um but once he got rolling with it you know he kind of all the all the goofy stuff kind of took a backseat to you know telling good stories and and doing good things so yeah like i tell people like if you watch it for the first time the first few episodes you know there's gonna be a lot of jokes and stuff and you're gonna think it's goofy but no they really take it into some really good and you know serious directions at times and it's it's well worth the wait uh stephanie uh when, when did you first start or first start watching the orville oh like right when it first aired like i i think we've talked about how the 90s star trek is the stuff that you can just fall asleep to it's like that comfort food for your soul mm -hmm. that is orville to me now thanks to paramount plus making star trek impossible to access mm -hmm. disney plus i can watch orville still so i'm all caught up i think i've watched all the seasons like three times over if i'm done with those i'll go and put on american dad or family guy like i love all of his stuff it's just I love the balance because for me, it's like, yes, I like Star Trek, but I don't like serious TV, especially at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And this is Star Trek not taking itself seriously. Like, it just hits all the sweet spots for me. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, my biggest complaint about modern Star Trek, I mean, Star Trek's always been political but they do it you, in a you only it, have one complaint about modern <laughs> i got i got many i got many complaints many complaints but one of them though one one of my one of my points that i make is uh yeah like i i like you said stephanie like star trek is should be a show that you should just be able to sit down and enjoy and at times you don't even realize that they're talking about a serious topic but they are uh, because they do it in such a um, subvert kind of way, I guess. I don't know if that's the best way of saying that, but um, they don't hit you over the head. And, like, modern Star Trek just hits you over the head with, you know, everyday politics. And it, I just think, you know, like, Star Trek, like, they used to tell us, like, in the future, things like that aren't... You know, like we've overcome those differences, but modern Star Trek doesn't understand that. <clears throat> so one thing I love about the Orville is you got all these different people, and 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 everyone just is accepting without having to be preachy. Um, 
you know, like we have, uh, you know, in the main cast, we have a gay couple, you know, but on their world, that that's normal. <laughs> and so really, it's an entire species, but yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, and I, I just got to, I got to jump in there and just say, the first time watching that this show, you meet Bordis right away, and, and mm-hmm. he, you know, you can tell he's supposed to be like a Klingon, the big badass warrior guy. And I just think it's so funny that they took the big badass warrior race, essentially the Klingons, and then they made them all gay. Yeah. I, I just, man, I just think that is so funny that that's how they went with it. And, and the thing is, is, is you don't, but the thing is they, they are gay, gay, but they're not, but that's just, you know, they're one sex species only, yeah. you know, they do have another sex sometimes, but yeah. And you're right. They never, they don't, they don't make any kind of deal out of it. It's just, this yeah. is my partner. This is the species. It. It's the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, nobody ever thinks it's weird. Nobody ever complains about it. Nobody ever bats an eye about it. Yeah, just, exactly. Just it. That's, that's all there is to it. And I, and that's great. Cause you're right. It, it's very progressive without smacking you in the face about how progressive it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. ex- exactly. See, I, I kind of disagree on this, honestly. Um, it, to me, you know, Discovery gets a lot of flack for being, air quotes, very concerned with social justice issues or being very ham-fisted about it. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember anything on the level of what the Orville does. Like, I think the Orville is very overt. It's very preachy. It's very concerned with these things. And I love it. That's not a criticism. But I was, yeah, almost taken aback with just how hard they went on it. Um, whether that's the, more, the transitioning kind of storylines, whether mm-hmm. it's like even just, you know, Alara having problems with, uh, you know, men she's dating being intimidated by her strength or like, angle, yes. <laughs> I felt that they really went hard on the morality stuff. And I love it. I think they did it well. I think it was very well integrated, mm-hmm. but it's a very forefront concern in a lot of like a lot of the main storylines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I, it I, it just doesn't feel preachy. You know, like that's the thing that surprises me so much because again, Discovery <clears throat> gets kind of maligned for this, but there is <clears throat> take, you know, Bordis outright reaming Clyden out for his misogyny, for example, or like there's tons of times where it is extremely preachy. I think it's very well done. And I think part of it is that they don't make it easy on themselves necessarily. They do try to play devil's advocate. You know, it's clear that their side isn't right, but they don't go soft on that. They don't mm-hmm. give themselves an easy time. Yep. They're very concerned with like the consequences of the actions. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to. You don't have to make it. You can be right, and there can still be negative consequences down the road. Right? Mm-hmm. They're not concerned with making it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think they use the Marplins perfectly. Like. What was the episode where Tope is born? That's like episode three. And how many Ooh. times did they bring that up again and again and again and again? And they didn't back down. I thought that was absolutely fantastic, the way that they've just opened up that conversation, not to mention incorporated Dolly Parton into it. Like, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. That was brilliant. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah. Um, um, I, I was I just want to say. The way that they they broached these subjects didn't feel like, hey, look at us, we're we're broaching these subjects. Yeah. We're so yeah. progressive. Everybody acknowledged that. Like, 
I, I I agree with everything that you guys have said, and, and I and I, it's definitely something I love about the Orville, but I did feel in some of the newer treks that I don't know. It's like they were they were pushy about it, and it's almost like they wanted us to to you know all congratulate them on being so progressive. And I Star Trek has always been progressive. Anybody who argues that is a moron or argues against that as a moron, but Mm -hmm. I found in the new treks, it was kind of preachy almost. Yeah. Like for example, in, in the first season of Picard, how they were trying to, um, talk about immigration and refugees and come, you know, and you can tell they're drawing parallels with things that were happening in real life at the same time. The Orville didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like, like obviously, especially we transgender issues are a huge issue in our society right now. They shouldn't be, but they are. But the Orville didn't feel preachy about it to me. It, it didn't. It didn't feel like they were trying to have everybody congratulate them on being so progressive. It just felt like, well, this is an issue, well, and this is how the characters in this scenario would react to that issue, and. Well, what what I really appreciate that what the Orville has done is what Star classic Star Trek like when I'm, I'm talking classic Star I'm talking Roddenberry Berman era Star Trek yeah has done mm-hmm. b- did best was they would take you know these topics and and do these episodes but they would you know like like we were uh, I forget who was saying but the, like the Mocklins for example like they were a stand in for you know, what, what we're going through today as, as a human race, as the human race, you know, with the transgenderism and stuff. Um, and, and I mean, you could see Clayton's perspective and then you could see, uh, Bordas's perspective and, and it's like, who, you know, you, you, you side with one, with, with, with somebody, um, but maybe, uh, you know the show show you know can show you in a way that maybe you know your way of thinking wasn't how I don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to say anymore. Yeah, uh, it's like it, it challenges it, without yeah, telling you yeah. what you should think. Yeah, exactly, and and you might actually you know seeing uh, this subject in a in a you know in a alien context, you know you might realize hey maybe i'm in real life i'm not on the you know right side of history you know maybe i need to change you know and that's what Mm -hmm. star trek used to do used to hold us you know a mirror up to us with but you never knew it you know you would just watch you know this you know for example on the original series you know let that be your last battlefield someone's painted black on one side and white on the other and the other one's the opposite but yet one of them says the other one's inferior and you're like, but you guys are the same, mm-hmm. you know, but they were different and, but we didn't realize it until they pointed it out and it's like, Oh, but that, that's that was silly. a metaphor for racism. <laughs> Whoa, I missed that. <laughs> but it was so oh, great. No. Like, like what, what, as, as a kid, as a, as a little kid though, watching that, I remember thinking like, these guys are dumb. Like, why are you hating on each other? You guys are the same. Um, I'm like, 
I think this gets to the magic of the Orville, like what makes it work so well? Because it can be very preachy at times, but it's still fun. And it's not yeah. just, you know, gender <clears throat> issues or things like that. Like it can be very, it takes a lot of pot shots at our time being, you know, you can look at it, there's plot lines about the right to choose or, or mm. little, uh, you know, bits about being anti-populist, about social media, about just our times being not socialist enough for them. And there's a lot of all these little like pot shots they take at our time, but it doesn't feel preachy and it just, it still always feels fun. And it, you feel like they give a damn about not only these issues, but about the characters. And I think that's something that's kind of missing from like New Trek that often, to me, it just seems New Trek very often wants its dramatic beats for dramatic beats sake. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't actually give a shit about either of these issues or its characters, and the Orville with its more light-hearted tone, it just, it can take those shots, it can be preachy, and you don't notice it, because it cares about these people, and it cares about these things, and then you kind of do, too, in passing. Yeah. And it, it still feels fun and light, and it feels, yeah, it just, I think this is what makes it work so incredibly well, and why it seems more like Trek than a lot of new Trek. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so real quick, uh, to get back to the first point here, Ragnar, when when did you start watching the Orville? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I didn't watch it on its original run. I think, I think I watched season one whenever it came out on whatever streaming platform I had at the time. Uh, I know that I watched season one before season two came out, but I definitely didn't. You know, I didn't watch it as it was being released. Okay. Um, but but yeah, I, I came in somewhere somewhere after season one came out, and I came I went in very skeptical. Now, I really enjoy Family Guy. I like American Dad, but overall, I wasn't the biggest Seth MacFarlane fan. Um, and I was, I knew that he liked Star Trek because I mean, there's there's parodies of Star Trek within Family Guy, and he cast Patrick Stewart as one of the voices in American Dad. But I wasn't totally sure. I was kind of afraid it was going to be another Galaxy Quest type situation. Yeah, oh, um, so I went into it really reluctantly, but I loved it. I, I loved it immediately, um, and. You know, you know. I think, if I remember correctly, I think I actually bought it as soon as it came out on DVD. I think it wasn't on any streaming service I had, and I ordered it on DVD because somebody told me, oh, you're going to love this show. Mm-hmm. And I was very skeptical, and I was like, man, if this sucks, I just wasted, you know, $25 or whatever the season cost then. Yep. And then, no, I really liked it, and, and by, you know probably the second or third episode I was just in love with it and I think I watched the whole thing in like two days Excellent. because it 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 was giving me that it was scratching the itch I wanted a new Star Trek mm-hmm. and I didn't like the mm-hmm. new Star Trek shows and it it gave me what I wanted this is you know this is what I was looking for in a new Star Trek show and and later on down the road lower decks did the same thing for me but uh, I, I didn't love Picard, especially the first two seasons. Actually, I never even saw the second season. 
And I tried Discovery, and I liked it initially, but then I got turned off from it. And the J.J. Abrams movies were... I liked elements of them, but as a whole, I thought they had too much action and not enough substance. Mm -hmm. So I wanted something new that was Star Trek, and the Orville was the right thing at the right time. Excellent. Um, So, yeah, like, I've been... uh making comparisons to obviously the Star Trek universe. Um, but, but one show that I would actually say it's very, very akin to in a lot of ways is uh, MASH. If anyone's ever watched mm-hmm. MASH because, yeah. uh, and the reason oh, that's why, interesting. the reason I say that is because MASH, I, as far as I know, was one of the first dramedies on television, what a dramedy is! It's a combination of both a drama and a comedy. So there was comedic parts to Mash, there was also dramatic parts to Mash, and you could have both in the same episode. Some episodes are more lighthearted and silly and fun. Some were more serious, where they dealt with you know death and and you know the the costs of war. Um, so in that way, I would say that the Orville is kind of similar to mash because it's both a comedy and a drama at the same time and some episodes lean more towards comedy some lean more towards the drama um but at the end of the ep- at the end of the episode kind of like mash you always feel like in my in my opinion anyway you always feel better having watched it uh than having not watched it mm-hmm. so Anyway, I, I think that's a really interesting comparison because I always compare it to the next gen. I always say, oh, it's the next gen oh, yeah. was funnier. Yeah. But I think you have a really good point there because the Orville does start out as way more of a comedy. But as time goes on, it does get more dramatic. And, and like season three has some pretty intense scenes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it has some very funny scenes too, but it's definitely not just a comedy whereas season one is trying much harder to be funny um so i think yeah i think mash is actually a a, i think that's a fairly good uh comparison well you might you might lose some younger people who have never watched mash yeah yeah well i can't take all the credit for that i i'm actually holding in my hands uh the world of the orville which is a companion book Mm. Oh. written by Jeff Bond, and actually he described it. Um, so I'll just read the back of it. Uh, four-time Emmy Award winner Seth MacFarlane creates a new sci-fi dramedy universe on the Fox network with his new show, The Orville. MacFarlane plays Captain Mercer, an officer in the Planetary Union in the 25th century who gathers a crew from the farthest reaches of the galaxy, his ex-wife included, to man the exploration vessel Orville, and to patrol the mysteries of deep space. Filled with alien species, exotic worlds, futuristic technology, and awe-inspiring spaceships, this lavish, oh, this lavish companion to the Orville takes you behind the scenes through the concept art, on-set photography, and technical schematics. Um, so yeah, go, so going forward, I'm just going to be flipping through this book um, as as we talk. So as I, as I mentioned, uh, Brandon Braga, who... Um, co-wrote the series finale of TNG, co-wrote uh, Star Trek Generations and Star Trek First Contact. 
He became an executive producer on Voyager, and he was the co-creator and executive producer for three the first three seasons of Enterprise. So this guy's got a lot of uh, uh, Star Trek experience. And um, all, as I said, uh, John Favreau, um, best known, you know, having um, made Iron Man a household name. Uh, he basically kick-started the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Iron Man. Uh, he directed Elf, um, the t- Will Ferrell comedy. Um, what else is he Didn't he work on that uh, Space Wars show, too? Oh, yeah. Uh, Space Wars. Uh, the, Mandalor- <laughs> the Mandalorian? Yeah, yeah. He was, he, he was part of that. I was like... The big mud horn tattoo on his forearm. <laughs> and uh, what else? Well, he did do that Cowboys and Aliens movie, which actually wasn't a bad movie. I I, I liked it. Um, uh, another movie he did that was really good was was called Chef, and it was a a lower budget, more independent movie um, about a guy who ends up running a, a chef who ends up running a food truck, and it's actually a pretty darn good movie, written and directed and starring. John Favreau, um, but it spawned a Netflix spinoff called The Chef Show, where the real life chef who trained John Favreau for the film, it's the two of them, John Favreau and I forget the other guy's name, um, and they like get together and cook, and then they bring in other celebrities and cook, and they oh. go to restaurants, eat them. It, if you've never watched it, it's and if you like food. I- it's a wonderful show. I've seen clips. I I seen the one where he had Gwyneth Paltrow on there. Yeah, and he had to explain to her that he was in, or she was in the first Spider-Man movie because she had no idea she was in oh, that no. movie. Because she just does random scenes for Marvel. She had no idea that it ended up in the first Spider in the Spider-Man Homecoming. <laughs> That's hilarious. But. Yeah, no, I've I've seen clips of that on like YouTube and, and Facebook, but yeah, that's that's cool. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, first of all, probably the main character of the show, and that's the Orville itself. Um, so it's designed to be a medium-sized starship in the Planetary Union. Um, I I, I love the look of the Orville. I, I think it's so cool. Um, it's something different. Um, and I, and I love the fact that on the Orville for, you know, except with the exception of the big space battles and stuff, whenever you see the Orville do a flyby, that's an actual model. Like they, like Seth MacFarlane was very particular. He's like, I want to use an actual model and do some of the shots with a model. Um, Mm -hmm. just because it, it, it feels more real. It feels like it. It feels like TNG, like when you would see the Enterprise fly by, um, and I, I just love that. So, um, going around the table, Ragnar, what are your thoughts on the Orville, uh, the ship itself? Um, I thought it looked more like a Voyager than, say, the the classic <clears throat> Enterprise. Mm-hmm. But I liked it. Um, I liked that they, you know, gave it its own version of a warp drive without. You know, without completely ripping off Star Trek, it, it is basically <laughs> Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I thought the ship looked looked cool, and I like that they 
for the most part, they used a real model. Um, I think that was really cool and gave it a, well, it just made it look more like Star Trek. Let's, let's be honest here. That's, that's why they did it that way. And, and specifically more like classic, you know, Star Trek as in like the next, the next gen, right? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say the Orville is my favorite looking ship, uh, from any sci-fi series, but I don't hate it. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, also, I just wanted to say I love the interiors. I love the carpet. Oh um, yeah, in the interior of it is excellent. The, I, I was talking specifically about the exterior. Yeah. Um, the I, I only have a couple minor minor complaints, minor of the interior, <laughs> and that is I think um, Captain Mercer's office is just way too big. You know, on a ship that size, like, space would be at a premium. And I think, kind of think or the Orville kind of forgets that sometimes. Um, you know, like, I, you know, it, it's kind of like Star Trek Discovery in that sense. Like, where everything's, like, huge and big. And it's like, no, it should be, like, submarine-like almost. Like, you, you know, like, your ship isn't, unless unless it's super big, but it's not. Um, like, yeah, it, it's probably closer to, yeah, like Voyager size than, say, the Enterprise D. Um, and the Enterprise D was, like, the biggest ship that they ever made for, for Starfleet, like, Galaxy-class ship. So, even then, Picard's ready room was a lot smaller than Mercer's office. Um, so I kind of, that is one complaint, is that I think they could... They should have made it a little bit small. Like, I understand making it bigger because it's easier to film. You know, like, when you can move around and stuff. Like, it, it makes it difficult when you got sm small spaces to film. So I get that, but it kind of takes me out of it that it doesn't feel realistic. Unless it is a massive ship, but it's not. Um, and the other thing that I kind of I don't like is, again, like they're kind of taking the Voyager approach... I I always did not like the fact that Janeway and Chakotay were like sitting side by side. Um, I really feel like the captain should be like distinct, like have his own spot, and then like maybe the first officer's off to the side, like on TNG or the Enterprise E, like one of those scenarios. But having them side by side, eh, not a big fan of that. I got to admit, but. Those are my only two nitpicks. Other than that, I love the touch screens. I love the layout. Um, one one cool thing about the Orville is like they got the big uh, glass uh, dome over the bridge, so you can actually see out into space. I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, um, Stephanie, what are your thoughts on the Orville, the ship itself? I think everything that everybody else has said, the only thing, every time I watch it, I still haven't figured this out. How many spiral staircases can you fit in one ship? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's like, I don't know why my little brain always fixates on that, but like, in the quarters, and I'm, again, like, if it's supposed to be a small, functional ship, why does the captain's quarters, and I'm pretty sure in Kelly's quarters, too... Like, we've got two levels, and the second yeah. level, there's just, like, nothing up there. Like, what the... I, I haven't figured it out yet. 
again, you know, it, it, like I say, it's it's like a space, you know, like that that, you know, the fact that they make it too big. I do like the staircase idea, um, because you would think like on a ship, you wouldn't want people go, you know, like if the turbo lifts go down or whatever, you wouldn't want people crawling through, like on like I'm using trek terms jeffrey's tubes and and climbing down ladders and stuff like that like on tng i was always scratching my head like don't they have stairs in the future um but i think that must have been a concern for seth mcfarland too so he made sure his show had stairs but like like i was saying like the the whole space management thing on the interior kind of drives me nuts a little bit (laughs) because but I don't know. At the same time, like I guess maybe they don't need as many people on the ship to run it. So, and I mean we and we've seen that the Planetary Union has a huge fleet. Like there's hundreds of ships. So, you know maybe that's the thing. Like maybe it's you know there's so many of them that they don't need to, and the and it's so automated they don't need a whole bunch. Of, you know they can utilize a bunch of unnecessary space. I guess. But anyway, uh, Ray, what are your thoughts on on the Oroville? Um, pretty neutral. On the whole, I like it. Um, again, it's not my favorite ship design, but I think they did a good job of looking classic starship while not, you know, obviously ripping off any specific design. I like the kind of uh, three uh, semicircular uh, bits on the end of the, like, outside of the ship. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it looks weirdly organic to me in a way that, you know, Star Trek ship don't i don't know why but i'm always expecting one to like flicker and send it off in one direction or another um i think my my weird petty like nitpick that i can't quite identify why it bugs me but mercer's like captain's trinket background shelf feels unsatisfying for some reason it feels very pinteresty yeah (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know. I can't put my finger on exactly what bugs me about it. Maybe it's the way the books are. I don't know. Something about it bugs me. I like the the Kermit as kind of a nod to Cisco's baseball, but something about his like, yeah, it just reads like Pinteresty or forced zoom background. I don't know. I something about it feels unsatisfying, and that's that's a very petty, silly, you know complaint but there we are i i i totally agree ray i i i felt the same way like um you know i like if they had like had some like weird alien artifacts like you know kind of like picard like you know he had (laughs) all those like things in his in his ready room you know like the different crystals and stuff from you know different archaeological digs and but yeah, the, as much as I love Kermit, I love the Muppets. But you know, seeing seeing a you know Kermit sitting there on a shelf, I'm like, eh, I don't know. A lot of it just seemed weirdly impersonal for Mercer <clears throat> as a very personal guy. Like none of it was, you know, it's interesting. Older movies or Billy Joel or, or anything, nothing really seemed to have anything to do with the alien stuff that he might have picked up in his travels or himself. It just felt weirdly. Yeah, impersonal. Your 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 Zoom background for for your mm-hmm. meeting that you don't want to go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, to just bookend this uh, the Orville discussion, it is an exploration class A vessel. 
Um, so it's got the three rings on the back. There is one bigger than that, and it's called the Le Leviathan class. Um, so this would be like an admiral ship. There, it's it's yeah, the... you see those in some of the the especially in season three in some of the battle sequences, but they they never really showcased that it's actually two different ships, and it was hard to. The first yeah. time I watched it, I couldn't tell if it was just perspective or if there is one that is actually bigger. But, yeah, okay. Yeah, it it's... The Leviathan class is probably, I'd say, three or four times bigger. It's definitely the largest one. Um, so the Orville's, is like, the second largest. Then there's a, just a regular science class vessel. It's got the two rings. It's smaller than the Orville. Uh, then you got the fighter class and the, the transport class so those you know are smaller you got a cruiser class which also has three rings but it's not as long as the orville and then there's an exploration class d with where it just has one ring um <clears throat> and it's about the same length as the orville but with one ring and it doesn't look like it has as many decks on it so okay so anywho um, the next thing we're going to talk about, because we talked about the ship. Oh, real quick. Um, so in, uh, the Planetary Union, uh, they have, uh, different ranks. Um, so they have the command level, uh, which would be the, uh, the people wearing blue. Um, so that would be Captain Mercer. That would be, uh, Kelly Grayson, Co Commander Kelly Grayson. And Lieutenant Commander Bordas. Uh, you would have the helm, and then you have helm, navigation, and engineering. Uh, so that would be Lamar and Malloy and Yafit, their helm, navigation, engineering. Uh, their security, so that's um, uh, Alara. Uh, you have the, and then you have the green. Uh, uniformed ones, which is medical, life sciences, astronomy, chemistry, biology, biology, exobiology, mathematics, and computer science. So that would be Dr. Finn. And if Isaac wore a uniform, he would be wearing, his uniform would be green because he fits into that category. Um, and I, and I gotta say, I love the uniforms, uh, on the Orville. I like they're, I love the colors. I love the design. Um, like honestly, aside, like I really like the the uniforms from the T, like the later TNG movies and and the later seasons of Deep Space Nine. I like those uniforms a lot, but I would say these are probably my second favorite uniforms in terms of Star Trek and sci-fi and stuff. Um, so, uh, Ray, what are your thoughts on the uniforms? Yay or nay? Uh, I like them. Um, I, yeah, they um, seem relatively classic to me. Uh, I uh, have very few notes on that. They're, they seem nice. They seem relatively practical. Excellent. Uh, Stephanie, uniforms, yay or nay? I'm going to agree mostly yay. The only thing that bugs me. <laughs> And again, I don't know why the different shades of red. It's probably because in my head, I know, like yellow in Star Trek land, there's one shade of yellow 
that covers security and engineering, for some reason, there seems to be at least two different shades of red. I don't know why. I'm sure there's an explanation for it, but it doesn't seem to be consistent. And it's always one of those things that just bugs me a little bit. Well, there, there is an explanation because in this universe, security is separate. Like, it, it, it has a separate badge. Uh, then Helm Navigation and Engineering. So Helm Navigation and Engineering, they have different colored uniforms than security officers. Yeah, so got bright red versus dark red, right? Yeah. And it makes sense. It just still, it's probably that I grew up on Star Trek and I need to separate this in my brain. So I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if they, they cut out the yellow because they thought maybe they might get sued by by. CBS, like if you know, too close. Um, Ragnar, uh, the uniforms, yay or nay? I don't, yeah, like uh, Ray was saying, I don't really have too many notes on the uniforms. They look like you know, Star Trek y uniforms. Um, I think if you really think about any of the Star Trek uniforms, they're maybe not actually all that practical for everyday use like i assume in engineering you'd want something that had you know belts and pockets and clips and stuff on it but mm -hmm. you know they're, they're they very much were just following the foundation that was laid down in things like the next gens so yeah i i, I don't think so um i was thinking about this earlier with something else we were talking about and the show that i feel really nailed space travel and, and what it would actually be like in these ships was more something like Battlestar Galactica. Mm -hmm. Now, I, and th that is more military-focused, but I felt like those the new, ver you know, the, the rebooted one from the yeah. early 2000s, mm -hmm. I felt like they did a pretty good depiction of, you know the practical nitty-gritty day-to-day of what a ship like that would be like. The ships were, you know, cramped, and everybody... The uniforms were a little bit more practical. Um, you you'd saw people get dirty all the time. I feel like they, they paid more attention to that. Star Trek doesn't usually pay a lot of attention to, to that. Um, but... Uh, but yeah, yeah. Overall, no, I don't have too much to comment on with the uniforms. One and to go off on a quick tangent, one thing that used to drive me nuts about TNG, especially those first two seasons, is the onesies. Like, how is that practical <laughs> to wear to wear a onesie? And then even the TNG uniforms at season three onwards, like you always see Captain Picard pulling his shirt down, and he had to do that because their shirts were always riding up on him. Uh, because they had that, that they had like a, that elastic at the bottom that would sure. just naturally rise up on a person. So like you know they call it the Picard maneuver because he's always pulling his shirt down when he sits down or stands up. Um, and that's why they switched to the uh, like the coverall style uniforms that they had in Deep Space Nine because they were more practical, but. Like I, I just, I would think it'd be so uncomfortable wearing those onesies. That, that always bugged me. Uh, but anyway, um, let's start talking about the the crew. Uh, so first up, we have Captain Ed Mercer, played by Seth MacFarlane. Uh, 
Um, you know, when I first heard that, um, you know, they were doing the show and it was being run by Seth MacFarlane, he was going to star in it. I wasn't sure how I would take to that because, I, you know, like in the movies I've seen him in, he's always playing a goofball. They're always his movies. Um, so I wasn't sure, but I got to say, I actually like him in the role as, as captain. Um, you know, he's not my, you know, my absolute favorite captain ever, but, um, you know, I, I do like him in that role. Uh, I think he's doing a good job and, um, you know, I'm hoping if they have a season four that Seth MacFarlane comes back, but, you know, if they don't, I mean, there are other characters that could take the captain's spot. Um, but, you know, like, I do like Captain Mercer. I know that, like, you know, um, one of the rumors was that if they do a season four, Seth MacFarlane may not be in it, and that he might just be, like, an admiral at that point and just show up on occasional episodes, which I'm hoping if, if, if he can't star in it, like, that would be the case. Like, at least we would see him sometimes. But as far as him being the captain, I, I think he, he did an excellent job. Um, Ragnar, what are your thoughts on Captain Mercer? Uh, I, I do think he was good, but I, I don't think he was amazing. I, I often feel like his acting, Seth MacFarlane's acting is one of the lowest parts of, of the shows. Uh, and, and he's a, I think he's a better voice actor than a person actor. Um, Especially in season one, I found Captain Mercer just kind of, kind of like Captain Archer in Enterprise, where he's not bad, but he doesn't have a lot of wow factor. Um, yeah. As yeah. the seasons went on, he got better, and by season three, I, I quite, you know, quite liked the character and quite appreciated him and, and so on. But uh, yeah, similar to, to Captain Archer in Enterprise, I, I think he was a little bland, and that they they could have could have and should have pushed his character in more directions than they did. Um, I also was just going to say with what you were saying previous, if they did a season four of the Orville and he wasn't in it or very much involved with it, I don't know that it would be very good because he's the main guy. Like he, he, created the show he did a lot of the writing he did a bunch of the directing he plays the main character i feel like it'd be very tricky to pull off a, a successful season of the orville if seth MacFarlane wasn't particularly involved um that said i mean i'd still give it a try but i would sure hope if they do a another season and i hope that they do that they would bring him back yeah that that's my hope too but you know he, he's a I mean, busy, I, he's I, a busy guy, you know. It'd be really cool if if he he ran the show the same way he did the previous seasons, but his character is now an admiral and and is not in every episode. That would yeah. be super cool. Yeah. But if if you tried to do that show without him writing it and producing it and all of that, I don't know that it would have the same magic. Yeah, it's definitely hard to say. Yeah. Um, I mean, but that being said, you know. They, you know, people used to say the same thing about Star Trek, right? 
you know, they, they can't do Star Trek without William Shatner. True, and then they did. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and one thing, and I got, and I guess I should have said this in the beginning. One of the things I love about the Orville is the fact that it is new and unique. Um, you know, like it just seems like, um, like especially like with Disney uh, owning Star Wars, that they just keep you know beating that horse, right? Like, you know, like do something different. You know, like recently, um, Zack Snyder had a movie come out on on Netflix called Rebel Moon, which. I haven't heard a lot of great things about. Oh man, it was garbage. I, I'm I'm kind of like I haven't watched it, but I'm 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 waiting for the director's cut because apparently there is one coming because it's Zack Snyder. So <laughs> and and they announced that the day they released the 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 non-director's cut, I'm like, well then why would I watch this when there's supposed to be a better version coming? Yeah, but. That being said, I'll give him kudos for trying to make something different and something, you know, a new universe. Like, I think we need more of that instead of people just, you know, um, you know, taking taking Star Wars and... Yeah, you're right. Make, make, another, mm-hmm. another sequel, another prequel, another remake. Yeah. Yep. So, like, the... Orv- uh, well, that that movie, it, it looked really pretty, but it the story was really dumb and... The characters weren't believable, and it it could have been something. They clearly had the resources behind it, but yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, well, I guess it was originally supposed to be a, a Star Wars pitch, and then he just reworked it uh, because they didn't buy it. But anyway. yeah, you could sort of tell. Yeah, but uh, anywho, uh, Stephanie, what are, what are your thoughts on uh, Captain Mercer? I think overall, I like him, and really what I like about all of these characters is how they're not perfect, and, like, Star Trek characters aren't perfect, but there's a certain relatability, like, when he's hungover because he stayed up drinking with his ex-wife, that just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, that just seems so much more, like, if these were real people with real jobs, that is something that would happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I also really like how whenever somebody on his crew is struggling, or whatever the case may be, he gets in their corner and he really does believe in his crew. So, mm-hmm. just in a way that I don't think other captains have really done before, so every time I go and rewatch it, I just, I always appreciate that. Excellent. And Ray, your thoughts on Captain Mercer? Um, on the whole, I, I quite like him. I think you know he conveys that, like you guys were saying, that sense of earnestness and affableness quite well. Whether it comes up in him being a fuck up or him just being a, you know, a decent person who's concerned about the people in his life, and it something that uh, just as you know, Stephanie Ragnar, you guys were talking, something kind of clicked in to me about why I was so apprehensive about this to begin with. Because, like you guys mentioned, he is, you know, directing, he's starring, he's writing, he's, he's, this is so much of his project. And it very easily could have been or could have felt like a vanity project. Mm-hmm. And it could have been, like, just about him, right? And when Star Trek, at its best, it's an ensemble affair. It's a family. It's a, you know, it's an ensemble cast. And it, you don't feel like there's, you know, necessarily one star 
but this feels like a group of people muddling through some very unideal circumstances together. And I think that's what a lot of New Trek misses. Mm-hmm. But this, it, you know, I, I agree with you, Ragnar, that maybe acting isn't the best of his skills, but because it's because it's not just him carrying it, despite him being involved at every level, because it's such an ensemble affair, that get kind of just goes away in the wash for me because it's you feel that those relationships matter. You feel that like there's chemistry and concern between him and Kelly, and you you feel that friendship and you feel that he actually cares about these people and he does manage to project that very well. And then again, in, in turn, everyone else is kind of given their own storylines and treated like people in their own right. So it it doesn't feel like the Seth MacFarlane show starring Seth MacFarlane written by Seth MacFarlane. It feels like, yes, he's the main character, but he's part of the crew. And I, I do really like how they did that. Very, I, I thought that was one of the things, again, that made it so lovable for me. Excellent. Um, it's funny when you... Um... I can't remember if it was Stephanie or Ray. When one of you mentioned about him drinking, um, mm, it, Stephanie, it, yes, it, it <laughs> reminded me of—I can't even remember. It was like I want to say like 2008. I went to a party at my cousin's house. I can't remember what, why she was having a party, but anyway, one of her guests um, brought, or one of her friends, I mean, brought uh, this guy that she was seeing at the time. And he, you know, like they say, everyone has a double in the world somewhere. This guy was a spitting image of Seth MacFarlane, and oh. and he didn't really sound like him, like you know, like he couldn't do voices and stuff. But the crazy thing is, he did. He didn't even know who I was talking about. I'm like, you look exactly like Seth MacFarlane. And he's like, who's that? And was like, it Seth MacFarlane? No, it wasn't. Are you certain? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm certain. I'm certain. He's a really good actor. Yeah, and, and I mean, I I have met other celebrities when I when I've been drunk, and I've and I figured it out. But this definitely wasn't Seth MacFarlane. Like that would have been so cool. But I mean, this was before smartphones. This was before we had Google in our in our pockets. Um, so I had to explain to him Family Guy and all this, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I kind I kind of remember those shows." Um, and I don't know whatever came of this guy. Like I don't know if. I don't think my cousin's friends dates him anymore. Or no, no, she, no, she definitely doesn't. So I don't know whatever happened to this guy. I don't. I can't even remember his name, but I just remember just just being so fascinated by him um, in my drunken state because you know he looked exactly like Seth MacFarlane. But anyway, um, the next uh, crew member we're going to talk about is Commander Kelly Grayson who is the ex-wife of Captain Mercer. Um, and she kind of had, you know, in that first episode, it's revealed that she helped him get this command. Um, yeah, and she's played by uh, Adrian Palicki. I really like her. You know, at first I, I kind of did an eye roll when they are like, oh, you know, the captain's ex-wife is his first officer. I was like, oh. This sounds like a bad comedy trope. But like I said, you know, this is a dramedy. So, yeah, it is a kind of a comedy trope, you know. It's like, you know, Frasier and Lilith, right? You know, you, you had them get together, but then they kind of play... 
play off each other great as as ex uh, ex spouses. Um, you know, I'm sure most if there's any kids listening, they have no idea who I just met, was talking about. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no, they they played well together, and um, you know, I really liked uh, Adrian Palicki. And it's crazy to think that um, she actually shot a Wonder Woman pilot back in, I want to say 2011 or 2012, for, was it NBC? Uh, And it was uh, created by David Kelly, who uh, created shows like The Practice and Boston Legal and uh, different shows like that. But she she would have been our Wonder Woman had that show been successful. Like, you know, you would think of her as Wonder Woman and not as, you know, Commander Grayson. But that being said, she was also in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the first couple seasons. Uh, she was... Oh, I can't remember her character's name. She basically, for, for any comic nerds out there, she basically played Mockingbird in that show. So, um... Yeah, so she got cast on this show, and she is phenomenal as far as I'm concerned. I, I really like her. Um, Ray, what are your thoughts on Commander Grayson? Uh, like you said, I, I you know I think that role could have easily devolved into just a punchline of oh, it's his ex-wife who cheated on her. Uh, ha ha ha. Um, you know, and, and in the first episode, they kind of did a lot of uh, a couple of pot shots, and I think it. it, it showed Ed kind of coming to terms with having his ex-wife there. But it, like you said, it very easily could have been just a, a joke role. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I really like her there. I think that she brings a lot to, I really do enjoy her and uh, Ed scenes, especially the farther away you get from that initial bit where it's not the will they won't they it's just that they're they're friends and allies and they're people who care about each other and have each other's backs even when it's a bit messy and even when there's still some weird feelings there but it doesn't really matter they still buy into the as, as characters into this this idea of 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 having each other's backs and and being there for each other and I yeah I I really do enjoy her there Excellent Uh Stephanie your your thoughts on Commander Grayson. Yeah, I totally agree with Ray, and it's, to me, it's very refreshing to see, like, I feel like a lot of the time in pop culture, it's, oh, well, you've got an ex, they're an ex, like, you don't talk to them, they're out of your life, they're a horrible person, like, all those things, whereas this is, no, they're still a person, they still mean well, a lot of the time we are still stuck with our exes in our lives. So the fact that they were able to work together and be amicable and still be a really strong team, even though they're no longer married, like that to me, I found that probably one of the most refreshing things in all of Orville. So I really enjoyed her dynamic and I think she's fantastic. Excellent. And Ragnar, your thoughts on Commander Kelly Grayson. Oh, I, I think her character is, is one of the strongest characters on the show. She She's very well written. She's very well acted. She's, you know, she's funny. She's smart. She's pretty tough. Like, she's she's got some grit to her. Like, there's a, there's a, a steel backbone there. 
and uh, and she has ethics, which is funny that she has ethics, but we first meet her under the context of you cheated on this guy. Of course, later we find out that there's more to it. You know, the the person she cheated on him with uh, was releasing pheromones, which made him irresistible to everyone. So there's that. Um, and they, they, you know, initially I agree with you, Chris, it looked like they were setting it up for almost like a sitcom setting, but they didn't go down that road. They were very mature about it. And it, you know, it, it explored how relationships as an adult can be complicated and nuanced and have many different levels to them. And, uh, I also thought they might do a, they're going to get back together, they're not going to get back together, and they also didn't really go down that road. It, it's clear that the captain and the first mate love each other, but it's also clear that, you know, they're not chasing each other romantically. They they still have feelings for each other, and very quickly they work use that to work together. Well, I already know you, I already trust you, and uh, they make a really good team. But uh, I was very happy that they, they didn't go down the sitcom road or the perpetual will-they-get-back-together-will-they-not-get-back-together road. They didn't really do either of yep. those. And I think that just, you know, gave it a little bit more um, believability. Mm-hmm. And, and I just... Yeah. yeah. Commander Grayson just kicks serious ass. She, she's fantastic. Yeah. And I just wanted to point out, because you mentioned about, you know, the alien that she cheated on with or cheated with um the fact that he was played by rob Lowe. yeah i love that because I, I mean let's be honest you know if rob Lowe showed up i mean who who wouldn't jump into bed with him i i love that little inside joke like he's just yeah no it was that was a great oh it, it was wonderful and it, yeah. and it was hilarious that when he gets surprised he squirts out blue goop from his head that was really funny too yeah yeah. Um, all right. So the next character we have is Lieutenant John Lamar, played by Jay Lee. Um, so he starts out as the navigator, and then he gets promoted to chief engineer, which, you know, very akin to Jordy from from TNG. Um, and I, I I like I like this character. I like I like uh, Jay Lee. Um, and I think I read somewhere. Um, that when he did the first season of the Orville, like he was like still like eating Mr. Noodles and still like didn't have much money to his name. Like he was still like an up and coming actor. Um, but following the Orville, he's gotten, you know, bigger paychecks and, and, and more notoriety, but it's just funny to think that, you know, like, you know, he's having a hard time making ends meet while, playing this character um and i think he was one of the ones that was jokingly giving seth mcfarland such a hard time for taking so long between seasons uh because you know he was contractually obligated to stay on the show but you know if you're not actually filming you're not actually getting paid so one of the risks of being an actor is signing contracts assuming you're going to get regular work but then if you don't you're still under contract right uh, but I, I think Lamar is a great character, um, you know, yeah, and, and 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 I love the fact that he got promoted to chief engineer. 
I I love seeing him in engineering. Um, he's just you know like like Jordy, just a natural fit. You know, like he great navigator, but you know a great chief engineer as well. Uh, Ragnar, your thoughts on Lieutenant John Lamar? Um, I didn't really care for him that much when he was the the navigator. I just thought he was kind of, I don't know, minorly annoying almost. Although I like, I like as they build on the character over time, I grew to like him a lot more. I, I quite enjoyed all the jokes about how he's, you know, like this ultimate ladies man and he, he seduces everyone. I ended up thinking that was kind of funny. Um, but I, I liked it when they revealed that he was actually like a super genius who was just pretending to be dumb so that he didn't have to have any responsibility. And once they, you know, gave the character that the character got a lot more interesting. And, uh, once, once they pushed him into engineering, I really liked him there. Now I did, I did like the guy that they had as the original chief of of engineering. I thought Mm -hmm. he was cool too, especially when he pulls out the old, uh, like, you know, battery powered drill to, to solve one of their problems. I thought that was fun, but, uh, yeah, no, he, he was, I didn't like him at first, but I grew to like him. And, and as they gave the characters some depth and, and, uh, a new role, he got more interesting. And I, I quite like him as the, the chief of engineering. And, and I like the fact that, yeah, he can like work with Isaac. Like he, he's that smart that he, you know, yeah, like he can work. Because when you him. first meet him, he seems almost like a dumb stoner kind of kind of humor. Yeah, but and it's... then and then by the end of season three, he's like, you know, one of the only humans that can come anywhere near Isaac's level of technical proficiency. Yeah, and and the, and the funny thing is, I'm sure Seth MacFarlane based his character on somebody he knew in real life, because we yeah. all know somebody who's very smart, but also kind of yeah. like doesn't want to take on responsibility yeah. so they I, I know people that pretend to be stupid so that they don't have to take on responsibility yeah so yeah. I, I i love that that aspect of him you know i thought i thought yeah. it, i thought it was endearing and i like that you know he kind of outgrew that a little bit as yeah. the show went on uh stephanie what are your thoughts on lieutenant john lamar yeah i don't have too much to add other than what's already been said i really yeah and again i really do enjoy that like again, this imperfection in all of these characters. Like the dude's a genius, but he's also a bit of a dumbass and just goes along with Gordon's jokes, right? Like I was actually just rewatching that episode where he gets promoted to chief engineer, and even when Kelly and Mercer are talking about it, it's oh well, you know that was Gordon's idea, and Lamar just went along with it. They're like, yeah, okay, you're right. Let's give him a shot. So. Um, I agree. When they made him engineer, that definitely added a lot of depth to his character. And I, yeah, he makes a pretty good engineer. Excellent. And Ray, your thoughts on Lamar? Um, I generally enjoyed him. I wish we had gotten more dedicated plot lines based around him. Like, I feel like, and there's probably some stuff I'm forgetting, but and there certainly was some development. But it does feel like very often, you know, on most episodes, his role was either as a joke or to offer, like, commentary or reaction. And Malloy was a little bit like that, too, where he's a bit of a, you know, a joke character to a certain extent. But he got the chance to react or to interact with the rest of the crew a little bit more, I think. And then there were, you know, those plot lines about, um, 
being back in time and things like that that really added a lot of depth to his character. And I wish we'd gotten more dedicated episodes around Lamar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I was hoping, you know, with the fourth season, yeah, like we would see a little bit more of these other characters that didn't necessarily get, you know, the light shone on them. Um, fingers crossed, you know, there could still be a season four, but we'll see. Uh, the next character is Dr. Claire Finn, played by Penny Johnson Gerald. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I love uh, Dr. Finn. Um, she's wonderful. Um, I really like the actress because she also played Captain Sisko's wife on Deep Space Nine. And she doesn't seem to age, you know, like she looks exactly the same as she did on Deep Space Nine. It just blows my mind. Um, but Stephanie, what are your thoughts on, uh, Dr. Claire Finn? I think she's actually my favorite character. Straight up. I mean, she's a badass. She's amazing. She's smart. She's capable. Like, just all of the above. And I love the dynamic that they add in with her being a single mother by choice while still balancing this career and taking care of everybody. But then, especially when we get into season three with her relationship with Isaac, how she starts to make that space for herself i think as a mom with a career i find all these things very relatable and yeah every episode she's in like i know it's going to be good excellent uh ray what are your thoughts on dr claire finn i really liked her too um again i was thrilled to see cassidy yates there that, that was just a great mm-hmm. like nod to cassidy right. ds9 uh actress there that was that was just wonderful and I, I do really like the range and like complexity of, of storylines they gave her. I think there, there was a, one of the first episodes. Um, it was based around Alara having to take command when she wasn't ready. And they kind of had the doctor there positioned as, you know, a, a very motherly mentor figure behind the scenes, helping her, shepherding her. And I think that was something that they very easily could have pigeonholed her in as, a, as an older actress. And instead, they give her all these romantic storylines and these big, great, you know, morally fraught things to deal with. And also these very, like, small-scale, complicated family storylines. But I think that she often got the most interesting, often the most interesting uh, uh, plot lines there. And it was, yeah, it was just great to watch. I got to say, I I, I kind of want, because there was the, her sex scene with Yafid, right? <laughs> oh, God. That's I can't bleach my brain enough. But... <laughs> I, I, I kind of wonder, like, what that would have been like to film. Um, and also, <laughs> I, like, I, you know, I love Norm MacDonald, you know, rest in peace. You know, he, you know, it was sad when he passed away. Um, but I loved it when like he showed up in the show, like in the in the holodeck simulator, whatever they call it, um, mm-hmm. as Norm Macdonald, but he's Yafit. Um, yeah, and, that was fun. Yeah, I liked that. I thought that was a nice little touch. Um, but I loved I loved her interaction with the Yafit because you know that he just was in love with her, and I just I just love that. Um, you know, he was always flirting with her. Um, Ragnar, what are your thoughts on Doctor Finn? 
Oh, I, I loved her. Um, Abe, you know, yeah, I went in completely biased because I love DS9. So right off the hop, I was like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. But I thought she was a great doctor. Um, you know, she, she hit, she, she hit all the right notes for me. And, uh, yeah, like, uh, it was cool that, yeah, she is a bit of an old, bit older of an actress. I'm not sure how old she is, but they didn't pigeonhole her into the, you know, matron, you give motherly advice. They just treated her like she's just another one of the gals and she has romantic stories and sexy stories and, and later on, you know, her and, um, Oh, she's 62. No way. Yeah. I love her even more. Just Google that, yeah. Yeah. No, I I really liked I really liked the character of Claire. I thought she she was a very strong cast member. And uh I quite liked her relationship with Isaac. And uh Yeah, no, no, I don't don't think I have anything negative at all to say about Claire. She was she's incredible. So really quickly, on a quick tangent here, speaking of actors' ages, I found out today, like, I don't know, has any, have any of you watched The Sopranos? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's ages back, so I'm I'm not gonna, yeah. Okay, so the actor who played Little Polly, who was, like, Polly's nephew on The Sopranos, like, he was a friend of Christopher's, he's the one that Christopher throws out the window in in the last season and and like he gets his back broken and stuff and um i just found out today that that guy just turned 65 and that just blows my mind that guy is older than my dad but yet on the sopranos i always thought of him as like a 20 something or a you know dumb 30 year old crazy but yeah he turned 65 some people like you know uh, patrick stewart or nana visitor who just like how are you mm-hmm. an alien? Yeah, yeah. It's only in like the last two or three, maybe four years that Patrick Stewart has finally started to age. Yeah, he looks worse than he did. Uh, he looks he looks worse in the at the end of TNG when they kind of had him in the future than he actually does by far. Yeah, that that is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, Nana Visitor, oof, like she's to see her yeah. in real life. She's very beautiful. I, like just, I met her. It, it's about almost ten years ago now, but I met her at a comic con, and oh, just what a babe! Yep, yep. Um, all right. Well, the next uh, character we're going to talk about is Isaac. Uh, Isaac is an artificial intelligence from the planet Kalon who regards humans as inferior. Performed by actor Mark Jackson, the character's look is a collaboration between makeup effects and costume design. Um, so yeah, like when you see Isaac, like in his human form, that's actually the actor who's plays Isaac in in the suit. Um, which I which I find interesting because like when you do like a holographic version of somebody, you can be anybody, you know. Um, so the fact that you know. He is a handsome dude underneath that suit, you know, is kind of cool. Um, but I I, I love, uh, you know, the robotic characters like Data, C-3PO. You know, like as a kid, I love droids. Like I've just, and I still love droids. You know, I, I wish I had a droid. Um, one day, perhaps. Um, but, you know, I love I love the, the concept of the Kalons. 
Um, the fact that they kind of became like a Borg level threat in this show, like that two part episode in season two, uh, when mm -hmm. you when they go to the Kalon homeworld and you find out what happened to the people that created them, it's just mind blowing. And that whole episode, like when, um, you know, Isaac seemingly betrays everybody, and it's like, you know my job was on the floor and him and Dr. Finn were just getting together. And, and then, um, Oh, I can't remember her son's name. The one he drew like a picture for him and he just drops it in the hallway. Like, like oh, I was, sorry. yeah, I was, mm -hmm. I was so heartbroken. I was like, you know, how could, you know, kind of like data, you know, how could someone without emotions invoke such strong emotions in others, you know, um, such a great character. And I, and I, and, you know, I'm so thankful that, you know, he turned to the side of the light of light and and um I just thought, you know, if if the season three finale ends up being the series finale of the show ultimately, I think that's it was a nice way to end it. You know, with, with him and Doctor Finn getting married and all that kind of stuff. Um so I, anyway, I love Isaac. Uh Ray, what are your thoughts on Isaac? Oh, I thought he was very well done. I thought like like you said, there's a lot of um, using data as the obvious uh, uh, reference there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that TNG kind of dipped their toe into of potential implications there for, for what it would be like having a relationship with someone like this, how they would operate, where they could possibly come from, how they would resolve certain things. But TNG wasn't really interested in, in exploring that past some relevant, I mean, not completely shallow, but... I think the Orphil was much more interested in seeing or in looking at what that would actually look like. Mm -hmm. um, I thought the whole, uh, you know, I guess you could also look at kind of a Cyberman, you know, analogy too, but they were at times legitimately fairly terrifying. And, and the whole arc there just with going to that planet and, and seeing all those, uh, you know, the piles and piles of skulls and then learning the awful bit of how that came about and I really did enjoy that the the show wasn't interested in making it simple. Like, yes, they did a horrible thing in response to a horrible thing. There's no easy way to like, okay, you know, carry the one and, oh, we got our nice happy result of what this is. Is it good or bad? It's it's a lot. And and they weren't interested in, in having a nice pat, you know, uh, uh, summary of, of Isaac's origins or... Or anything like that. And I really enjoyed that they were willing to both explore some of the, um, like, how a, a character like that would naturally operate in the world, how relationships would be like that with them. And also the, the grand, uh, you know, the genocide in response to slavery mm. as a massive, massive thing. And they weren't really interested in being like, well... And therefore, all Kalons are bad, or therefore, all Kalons are good and deserve our sympathy. Well, it, it's it's neither. It's, it's it's two bad things, and that's just unsatisfying, and we're going to have to live with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I love the fact that you know, like with uh, with this character, that they made that entire species based like similar to him. You know, it's kind of opposite of Data, where Data was like you know, one of a kind until we found out he had a brother and mm -hmm. then he had a couple other brothers before them. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I like the fact that, yeah, that 
like this was an entire race of cybernetic people and and you know it's that old sci-fi um you know terminator type of scenario where you know what happens when you you know usually it's what happens when you rely too much on ai and then ai takes over but in this case what happens when you enslave ai and then mm-hmm. and then they decide to revolt just like you know in our on our own human history you know slavery you know there it always ends in some sort of revolt you know like the slaves just can't take it anymore um and and that's what happened on on Kalon. But anywho, and I really like the way they did that, where it wasn't just, yeah, they very easily could have made the, the race that they rebelled in into, mm-hmm. you know, innocent victims, or, you know, they, they could have just, they could have made it much more satisfying and simple, and they didn't, and I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it was in season three when they were showing, like, the flashbacks to, like, that, the you know, those kids that were, like, messing with their they're they're came on and and man you just felt terrible but i mean they're kids they don't know any better like you don't you they don't yeah, see you felt you felt terrible but that and then you felt terrible when they got shot in the head in their sleep like it was yeah just, it was brutal and it didn't it wasn't interested in offering us any relief from that those brutal aspects mm-hmm. yeah um stephanie what are your thoughts on isaac yeah, I I really enjoy Isaac's character for all the reasons we've already discussed. It did just occur to me as we were discussing Data. Like, I know Data was a bit of a hat tip to, like, the positronic brain Isaac Asimov mm-hmm. robotics. Right. Isaac Asimov, the author, I'm wondering if oh. that's Isaac is I, I just realized it's, like, right now. Oh, clever. Like, Doing seriously, anyway, <laughs> um, that's likely it could be wrong. If not, we'll call it a happy coincidence. So it's oh, that's my nice, head cannon now. Yeah, it's a nice another little. We'll call it an indirect Star Trek homage. I'm a huge Isaac Asimov fan too. So the fact that I just realized this now, like seriously. Anyways, um, yeah, I really enjoy him, and I think anybody who has lived with somebody who has, let's say, not fully developed emotions, living with, like, you know, we all know that person who struggles to emote but still cares. You know, like, this is all, like, Mm -hmm. Sheldon, like, for example, you know, definitely cares but really struggles to emote. So anybody who's got that person in their life can probably find Isaac really relatable. So I just, I really do enjoy where they went with him and how he was, you know, his relationship with Clara and all of that. Yeah. Excellent. And Ragnar, your thoughts on Isaac? Oh, he's, he's fantastic. Um, For, yeah, for a person who is not biological and, and doesn't really have emotion, he sure does evoke a lot of feelings and emotions. Um, I thought they did a a pretty good job of not always having Isaac solve every problem because almost every mm. problem they encounter he could probably solve. He does solve a fair number of them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but his his curiousness, his inquisitiveness t- towards humanity feels very genuine and and it's just enough to to balance him out into an interesting character. Um, very similar to data. I think it's pretty easy to compare him to data, although he certainly looks more robotic than data did. Um, and his his relationship with Claire's children and then later with Claire are some of the best parts of the show in terms of, mm-hmm. um, you know, character development and, and emotional content. Um, and and for a while, the Kalon are terrifying. When, when they're the enemies, they're pretty formidable. They're a pretty terrifying enemy. Um, so that, you know, that was, that was awesome. And, uh, if season three ends up being the last thing they ever do, it was a pretty good cap to the series. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I think Isaac is, is, uh, one of the best parts of the show. Excellent. Um, all right. So the next, I, I'm going to combine these two characters, um, because the uh, one character was replaced the other one. So first up, we have Lieutenant Alara Katan, and then we have uh, Lieutenant Tala Kiali. Yeah. Um, so they are both from the planet. I, I forget if I'm forgive me if I'm saying this wrong. Ziala, Ziala, I think. Um, Zialans. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm putting Zalean. Zalean. Yeah. I was going like, I, that doesn't sound familiar. I know that uh, it wasn't sounding right. Like, I'm looking at it, but I could pronounce it. Zalea. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it spelled. So I. I yeah, me neither. Yeah. It's spelled yeah. X E L A Y A. Oh. Uh, of course okay. it was. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I, I loved Alara. Like, she was, she, she's feisty and fun. And I, and I love, you know, like that, um, you know, like that notion that, you know, the smallest character is actually the strongest character because, you know, on, on her planet, the gravity is so much stronger. Um, so when she's like in like human gravity, uh, she would have super strength. I love that because it's kind of like a Superman thing, like su- like where Superman, mm. because of the yellow sun, he has superpowers. But on Krypton, he would have been just an average dude, um, depending on who, what story you read. Because on some stories, they all had superpowers on Krypton, but I don't know. But anyway, I, I love that aspect of these characters. So you know, I was sad when uh, Alara left. Um, but I understand, like, the actress wanted to take on some different roles and stuff, so they brought in Tala, and I liked her. Um, you know, she was, again, feisty and um, strong. Um, my only nitpick is how they did her hair, because it was always covering the one ear. Um, and I, th- I honestly think they just did that so the actress wouldn't have to get the two ear prosthetics put on. She just had to get the one. Um, but whatever, I digress. Um, you know, they were both great characters and, and I love the fact that Alara came back in the, in the final episode. Um, 
and she was seen on the season two finale as well in that alternate timeline. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, Ragnar, what are your thoughts on Alara and uh, um, uh, Talia? Tala, sorry. I, I liked Alara for what you were saying, how they have this very small, petite, very feminine-looking character who is the strongest of their crew. I thought that was a wonderful twist. Um, I didn't love the character of Alara, or at least I didn't think I did until they brought her back. And, and that episode where she comes back, man, I realized, wow, I did really like that character. Um, I think the best episode is, is the one where they go back to Salea and you have the, the two doctors from previous Star Trek series. Yes. I mean, that's, that is just such a, a great episode. Um, I also really liked how they handled the recasting because they didn't do it dirty like how they did with Jadzia Dax in Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is the same race and it's still a, you know, the, the same gender and the same race, but it's a different character and they don't make any bones about it being a different character. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think they handled that very well. And I really liked Tala. I think she was, personality-wise, I think she was a better choice for a security officer. She had, I'm going to say, a, a stronger personality. She was more forceful. And and by forceful, I mean, like, like stern. Like, like not somebody you could bully or manipulate. Um, so I, I actually really like Tala. Uh, I think... Also, speaking as a single horny man, I think they were both very beautiful. And uh, I'd love to be the sandwich, you know, the middle of the sandwich with one of them as the bread. <laughs> uh, yeah, or, yeah, that's great. Or both of them, uh, both of them. Yeah, you would survive it. I think that's pretty clear from the one like sex, uh, you know, plot line. You would not survive that, sir. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 at least at least he would die a happy man. Amen. <laughs> I have always said death by snoo snoo is how I want to go. So, <laughs> but anyways, um, no, I love. I I guess I love both of them, um, and I I really applaud how they handled the um, replacement because they didn't try to make us have a new actor and say it was the same character. I, mm -hmm. I like that they they didn't go down that road. Yeah, agreed. Um, I can't remember who I started with this round. Did I start with you, Ragnar? Or... Uh, no, I think I'm the last one. You're the last one? Stephanie and Ray, you both commented on them? Not yet. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, maybe you did start with me. I oh. got, uh, I got sidetracked thinking about other things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so Stephanie, your thoughts on these two characters? Yeah, I really enjoy it. Again, I keep thinking about the like the two sides of the same coin that each of these characters seem to have. And for her, it's very much the, like, yes, she is hands down the strongest one on the ship, but then she's also got these moments where she's really vulnerable and weak. Like when she's not prepared to take those command roles, or there's the one where doesn't there's like a explosion in engineering and somebody dies and she takes, 
you know, the guilt and the weight of that, even though there's nothing that she could have done. Right. Um, so I really enjoyed that balance. And yeah, the fact that Robert Picardo is her dad is just like a whole mm-hmm. other layer of awesome. Um, yeah. Again, the character transition, I really enjoyed how they did that. And I like how she paved the way for other Salayans to go out. And I think Paula says something to that effect at some point as well. Like, you know, because of what you did, I'm now able to do what I do. Don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Excellent. And Ray, your thoughts on the characters? Yeah, I really like them both. Um, again, like you guys have all mentioned, I really like the uh, the contrast between uh, Alara being much more uncertain and feeling like she hadn't earned her uh, her job and being a bit more tentative versus the much more brash and confident Tala. Um, yeah. I do wish we'd gotten more with uh, both of them. I'll, not quite to the same extent as Lomar, but I do still think that like we didn't have as many plot lines revolving around these two. Or that weren't just kind of little bits of, you know, or bits essentially about their strength or things like that. So I wish uh, I wish we got more time with them, more uh, more characterization, more, yeah, just more dedicated plot lines. But uh, like you guys both said, that uh, one where she goes home to her home planet, Alara, and mm-hmm. the two doctors are there. That is that is a high point of the series for me, for sure. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> Excellent. Um... So the next character we're going to talk about, he isn't a main character, but he's pretty special, I think. And that's Yoffit. Um, so this is a quote from Norm MacDonald. Um, Yoffit, he is a being alone in space, trying his best to find love in a vessel where he is the only one of his species. And that's from Norm MacDonald. Um, so yeah, gelatinous life form that works in engineering, Yoffit, voiced by Norm MacDonald has a crush on Dr. Finn, and he expresses in inappropriate terms. Um, so, yeah, I just love that he's just, like, basically looks like a, a phlegm ball. Um, but, you know, but I, I appreciate that, though. Like, you know, I, you know, say, you know, I don't know, Star Trek has some interesting aliens and stuff, um, but I think we, you know, as you know, as a race, you know, like in, in the years to come, many years to come, uh, if we, you know, explore beyond our own solar system, I don't think we're going to find, I think we're more likely to find a Yoffit than we are a Vulcan. My, like that, that, that's my opinion. I think, I think we as a, as a, as a people, as a race kind of, um, think that we're going to encounter other beings just like us out there but i think we're more likely to encounter things that are or aliens that are completely different from us and yafit is completely different uh, so i appreciate that i appreciate that they did that with the character and and like i said you know having norm mcdonald on there was fantastic uh stephanie your thoughts on yafit i find him although crude hilarious like i was just rewatching the episode where Bordas inadvertently eats a chunk of him and it's just this okay how you want to do this like pick a hole I'm going in and it's just like <laughs> I was just I've watched it so many times and 
it still had me start laughing for some reason. And I just find, yeah, like he really did do a good job with being funny, but then also being very sincere when it came down to it as well. So like, you can't not like the guy, even when he's being super crude. So yeah, I, it's sad that he's not around anymore, but I also like they they still incorporated him though, even after he passed away, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. Well, he, so, yeah. Well, he yeah. had, he had, they had, he had done season three. He died um, before season three came out, but he had mm-hmm. filmed uh, his parts for season three or voiced his parts for season three. Right. Um, so I, I just found that really touching and special that they still incorporated that. And if they do a fourth season, I'll be curious to see what they do. Like he could very easily still be in the background without a speaking role. Right. So anyways, yeah. Yeah, or they or they could have a you know a different voice actor come in because I mean it is a voice role, right? right. Um, which I mean does happen, you know, like when when voice actors pass away, they do bring in new people. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, he, yeah, it, it it was extremely sad. I've always been a Norm Macdonald fan. I always I always loved his sense of humor, and I love that they created this character for him who has a very similar sense of humor to Norm. And, um, yeah, definitely a nice addition. Uh, Ray, what are your thoughts on Yafit? Uh, he's not my favorite, but he's definitely very endearing. And I enjoyed just a lot of the small little bits of this weird, like you said, lump of phlegm mm-hmm. trying to operate on a starship. I mean, in-universe, HR definitely needs to sit him down and, and talk about <laughs> taking no for an answer. That's goes without saying, but... But yeah, no, he was a, a fun little background bit. I, I very much generally enjoyed his, his uh, oh, the weirdness of, like, someone running down the hallway and, and just, like, stomping on him and, and him, like, splattering about and all that. You know, the the weirdness, I guess, of running a ship with a very alien species. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see more of weird species in Trek and Trek-related shows. Yep, me too. Uh, Ragnar, your thoughts on Yafit? Oh, I, I loved him. Uh, I thought he was a, a great character. He was funny. Um, I actually, having watched the series all the way through three times now, I actually uh-huh. think they could have put a little bit more of him in it here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a bunch of episodes that he's basically not in at all, and I think they could have just slipped him in a little bit more, um, especially for comedic relief. Um, but I also did like, you know, like like in the episode where the Kalon take over the ship, how he's mm-hmm. the one that they send to crawl through the vents and stuff, and yes. when the uh, Marcus, I think it was Marcus, is, is threatened by the Kalon, how he, like, doesn't waste a second and jumps on the Kalon and like, you know, it almost mm-hmm. kills him. But I, I thought that was so great that like right. there was no hesitation in him at all. Yeah. Um that that he was gonna do everything he could to save that kit. Like I yeah. I liked that because, you know, we mostly know Yoffit as a goofy, maybe little bit horny character so it was neat to see that oh no no there's there's depth to this character too even though he's just a little little green blob in the background most of the time um the the reason why we didn't see him more is just because of 
having to render the character uh, oh, is, yeah. is time time consuming and costly, right? It's it's kind of like when when Odo on Deep Space Nine, whenever he would turn into his liquid form, you didn't see yeah, it they... see it as much because it cost a lot to do and it took a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. and they uh, and they sort of did the thing of like with Odo, where okay, this is how it works, this is what it looks like, and now the rest of the time you don't need to see it happen because you know what's happening. Yeah, so we can just sort of skip that. Um. If if they make more, and I hope that they will, I would prefer that they just kill him or explain that he's been transferred to another ship rather than try to recast him or even use recycled voice clips. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, he's dead or he died or he got transferred to another ship and, and just do it that way. Um, but they probably have bits and pieces that he's recorded that they could use um, or, you know, they could recast him, but I, I I, think it would be better to just, you know, he died or he got transferred off or something like that. Well, I, I think since he got snubbed on the engineering, like the chief engineer promotion because of Lamar, it would yeah. be nice to see him get promoted to engineer on a different ship. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, could totally, you could totally do that. Um, it would be kind of neat if they picked up this, the show, but not as much as I would hate the wait, not for a few more years so that it's like, you know, it's been five years or ten years since the last um, series. So all the characters are still that are still, you know, the actors who are still alive, they're all still around, but they, you know, something yeah. promoted, they're in different positions. That would be kind of neat. And you could easily mm-hmm. say that, yeah, oh yeah, he got, he finally got his promotion, but it's on a different ship. Yeah, I, and now, I, and now Kelly's the, and now Kelly's the captain, and Tala's the the first mate, and you know, uh, the captain is now the admiral. Like that would be mm-hmm. that would be cool. Oh yeah, um, I'd watch that. I yep. would totally watch that because I love that in other Star Trek series when that would happen, you know, where we would find out, like, you know, for example, Janeway becomes an admiral and, and gets referenced in a bunch of stuff. Well, you could do that here with the Orville. Oh, yeah, Ed Mercer's <laughs> now an admiral. And, you know, that would be kind of neat because it isn't Star Trek, so it doesn't have to follow the same rules and formula. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, um, just getting back to Yoffit there. Yeah, I would like to see... You know, like, yeah, maybe he gets promoted and we don't see him. But I'd also like them to bring a different Yafit on the sh- on the show to replace him and maybe get a different comedian to voice him. Like, mm. like I, I would love it if they got Artie Lang to, to voice him. Uh, oh the, the new Yafit. Just because of him and Norm MacDonald being so close and stuff, I think it would, I think mm. it would be great. And maybe make him a different color or something. And maybe still call him Yafit. Maybe that's what everyone's called on their planet you know like this you know yeah we did we did see two more of his species uh in the i don't know the council room where they had all the different races you do see them in the background but they're they're never identified and i don't think they speak so yeah you could you could do anything you wanted like that but i feel like because they already did that with tala that it might be a little like, oh, what, every every time somebody dies, we replace them with the same species? Yeah. I think it might be kind of fun to just 
maybe not do that. Yeah. Either way, I'd be okay with, to be honest. Yes. They, um, they did also start introducing a bartender um, played by What's-His-Nuts from Seinfeld, George. But then right. uh, that kind of fizzled away. I thought they were going to turn that into a real thing, but it didn't, it didn't really happen. Yeah, he didn't come back for season three, I don't think. Yeah, there was a big gap between season two and three, and he didn't come back. And I, I right. think that was disappointing, because I thought that would have been really fun to have a regular bartender character. Um, I, I, think, anyways. I, I think it would have been hilarious if they just got Whoopi Goldberg to show up. <laughs> as a, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. like, don't don't have her, you know, be Guinan. but have maybe it, Guinan, maybe... but don't have anybody call her Guinan. Yeah, or something, she's you know. Just, she's just a bartender serving drinks and giving out little bits of advice. Yeah. That would have been awesome. That would have been epic. <laughs> All right, so we got two more characters to talk about before we wrap up. And the first, first up we have Lieutenant Gordon Malloy. Uh, Gordon, and this is from Scott Grimes, the actor who plays him. Gordon is the captain's best friend and drinking buddy from the academy. Gordon probably should have stopped drinking and grown up, but he is not the most mature guy in the universe. Kind-hearted and great at driving the ship, though everything I just described is exactly who I am as well, except I'm not great at driving a ship. <laughs> and that was from Scott Grimes. So what's crazy is the first time I ever saw Scott Grimes was actually in season three of The Next Generation. It, it was the one of the earliest season or earliest episodes of season three. Um, Wesley is walking down the corridor. He runs into his buddy, and him and a couple of girls are going to the holodeck. They're trying to tell, talk Wesley into going with them, but Wesley has to go finish his project. I think it's the one with the nanites. I think it's that episode. But that friend was Scott Grimes as a, as a young man. Um, so yeah, uh, and I, I love Gordon. Uh, he's hilarious. Um, and, and a little behind the scenes trivia, him and Adrian Palicki actually got married, uh, <laughs> while filming this show. And I think they're divorced now, unfortunately, but I oh. think they're still friends though. So it's kind of like, <laughs> kind of like Ed and, 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 uh, Commander Kelly type of thing. Um, but I just thought, I thought I just found that interesting. But anyway, yeah, uh, Gordon Malloy, funny. Um, it definitely makes sense that Ed would have a friend like this, uh, because yeah, you know, we all again we all have that one friend who just never really grew up, and he's still kind of you know, or or she is still you know living the the single life and and having fun and. And doing stuff that you guys used to do in your 20s, and you kind of think to yourself, like, when are you going to grow up? But they never kind of do. And that's and that's Gordon. Um, so I definitely think this is based on a real character, because I know a few people like this in my life. Um, <laughs> but that being said, um, yeah, Scott Grimes, you know, I think he's fantastic. Um, so, Ragnar, your thoughts on... Doc, uh, Lieutenant Gordon Malloy. Uh, yeah, it's clear at first that he's he's really just there for comedic relief. He he's the funny guy, you know, the dumb the dumb funny guy. But again, as time goes on, they give his character more depth. Uh, in particular, the episode 
where he gets sent back in time mm-hmm. and yeah. finds the girl mm-hmm. that he's in love with from the time capsule episode and, and builds a life with her. Man, that that's a pretty intense episode. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they show up and, and, you know, you realize like, yeah, there's more to this character than just the dumb, funny guy. Um, yeah, he, he's great. He, he's funny. He's, he's, uh, got just enough to balance him out that he's not always the dumb, funny guy. And, uh, yeah, he's very charismatic. It's hard not to love him. Yeah, that was, that was a good episode, but yeah, like it definitely delved into the, the Star Trek, you know, temporal prime directive thing where you're not, where you're not supposed to interfere with the past, but he, you know, but you can, but you can imagine, right? You get marooned in the past. Yep. You spend however long it was, a six months or a year, eating squirrels and whatnot, which was right. also a funny joke where they said, you know, in that time period, that was considered sport, but in our time period, that's considered murder. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, but, you know, after years, what are you going to do? You're going to live in the woods like a, a hermit for your whole existence? No, mm-hmm. after a certain amount of time, you're going to do what Gordon did. Yeah, and, uh, I you know, even if you're not supposed to do that, it it definitely was the thing that made sense to do. And yeah, that was a that was a really good episode, and definitely made you think. Like, man, yeah, if I got sent back in time, I would be aware of everything I do would affect the timeline I'm from. But at some point, you would have to just either kill yourself or accept that you're going to mess up the timeline. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Ray, what are your thoughts on uh, Lieutenant Gordon Malloy? I really enjoyed him. Um, I think he does the comic really, really well. I really just enjoyed him being a fairly earnest, good-natured kind of himbo throughout it all. And I really like that, you know, he's not the brightest guy, but he's not too insecure about that. Like those various bits where... Uh, Kelly, for usually for good reason, will be like, okay, so I'm going to highlight the fact that you're a moron right now, that you're just a bit of an idiot. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, why would I be offended by that? I'm, you know, right. my, <laughs> like, I, I don't see the problem here. Go on, carry on. I, I'm a bit of an idiot. Proceed. <laughs> that's, that's the way of it. And I found that really charming. Um, I also, yeah, that, that one episode, again, was just a heartbreaker because... Of course, you go back in time like that, you know, eventually you're going to have to build a life for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, your friends come back and you haven't been gone that long for them, so they're not ready to lose you. And, like, of course, you know, theoretically, you could be as big of a threat to their world as the Kalon were. So, mm-hmm. of course, that's a massive deal. And yet, I think almost everyone would, you know, look for human connections still in that circumstance and it was just such a heartbreaker and there's still that that temporal paradox there that didn't get resolved and I, I you know if they had a fourth season i'm sure they would because they ended up i think going back before he sent the message or something to that effect but mm-hmm. so I, i'm sad they didn't get to play that out because i'm sure they would have picked up on that again uh, if they in the unlikely event they get a fourth season i'm sure that would be something they would circle back to but yeah, no, he was just a wonderful character. He was very sweet and 
good-natured and on the whole, you know, I, it was really sweet too towards, uh, yeah, I thought there was going to be a more intense plot line with it, which I'm very glad there wasn't, but the Topa's crush on him, right? Mm. And when they're, when they're looking like, oh, she wants to ask him out, I'm just like, oh, oh, please don't make this cringy. Please, please yeah. don't. Yeah. And, they, and he, he was very good-natured about it. And in a, in a like, very earnest, kind, decent way, he was very concerned about her and showed up to the hearing and tried mm-hmm. to, you know, be a person in her corner. And that was just really a, a small detail that was just so nice and heartfelt, and I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And Stephanie, your thoughts on Malloy? I find him hilarious because you know when he's on the screen, you know something is going to come up that makes you laugh. Mm-hmm. At the same mm-hmm. time, I do like that as that they did give him those layers like we've already discussed. And even like they brought in his singing and his guitar playing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I thought those were, yeah, like, again, if this was real people on a ship, you know, for extended periods of time, those are the sort of things that would progress over time um i'm just gonna say it again episode five the leg prank hands oh yes (laughs) whenever i'm trying to pitch the orville to somebody i find that youtube clip and i share that clip (laughs) it's just so good yeah yeah and and yeah he's what a voice like you know whenever he sings like it's it's awesome yeah um, all right, so the last character we're going to talk about this evening is Lieutenant Commander Bordas, uh, yes. played by Peter Macon. Um, Bordas, and this is uh, him, his quote, Bordas, a commander of few words. He's very serious and extremely dutiful. He is fascinated by, but quietly removed from the zaniness of his fellow crew members. Mysterious male Mocklin. And that was from Peter Macon, which, when I look at his last name, almost looks like Mocklin. Macon, Mocklin, mm. it's very similar. Um, yeah, I love Bordas. You know, um, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like the wharf of the show. Um, and, yeah, it's the Mocklins are very fascinating. Um, you know, like that the episode where he's just sitting on the egg you know like that you know doesn't show up for work <laughs> and then he walked you know mercer, <laughs> captain mercer walks in and he's just like naked on an egg um captain i have laid an egg <laughs> yeah. um i'm not a big fan of uh uh clyden i, I gotta say i'm not a fan of clyden but you know, when Clyden came around in season three and he came back to the Orville, then I was like, okay, good. You've redeemed this character. But up until that point, I was like, you know, you Bordas, you can do better, man. Like, this guy's this guy sucks. Um, but I do like the actor that plays uh, Clyden because he used to be on The Walking Dead. Um, and he's Chad... in The Expanse. Yes, The Expanse, Chad Coleman, yep. And the mm-hmm. actor who plays uh, Bordas... Um, was in a couple seasons of Shameless. Um, and he's been on, in other things as well, but yeah, it's just, you know, I don't know. 
it's uh, fascinating, you know, like the Mocklins and, and uh, you know, this one sex society and how things work and stuff. And, um, and, and I do love the, you know, the Topa, you know, storyline and, and, you know, it's eventual resolution and how it brought him and Clyden back together. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. Bordas, great character. I, 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 if they do come back with a season four, you know, I would love to see Bordas, you know, maybe as the first officer, um, or even the captain, like if, if, uh, Adrian. Well, oh, I would watch that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. If he, you will if, listen. Yeah, if, if Adrian Palicki wasn't available, like I'd be okay with it. And I mean, they, I mean, Bordas and and Clyden have some of the best moments. You know, like when Bordas grows a mustache. You know, like that was <laughs> hilarious. Um, and then when they take up smoking, um, oh my god! You know, oh, <laughs> everyone's smoking. Um, yeah, like classic, classic. Um, Stephanie, what are your thoughts on? Bordas. I really enjoy his character. It's just, again, that like, yes, it's clearly a hat tip to Klingons and Worf, but at the same time, it's so different mm-hmm. that yeah, like, there's a very clear line where it's like, okay, I cannot compare these two, but I can see where they're kind of referencing Klingons. Um, also, what is the, what's the game that they play last the ball with the spike yeah (laughs) i just yeah it's like you know there's gonna be shenanigans but at the same time they're serious i love the like that push and pull that they have with topa and just that you know the whole gender identity conversations like that third episode the Mm -hmm. first time my husband and i sat down and watched it it was like oh yeah it's super cut and dry and then it was like well is it cut and dry? Like, well, what would you do? And three days later, we're still discussing it. And to mm-hmm. me, it's like, that's what I like about Star Trek is that mm-hmm. you can watch an episode and days later, like I can be at dinner with my family and we would still be talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, here, here, Orville is doing the same thing. Like, I just very, and I feel like a lot of those conversation episodes tend to come up around Clyden and Bordas and Topa and the Mocklins in general. Like, they're just fantastic species, fantastic character, and in spite of the serious, absolutely hilarious. Like, cannot get enough of it. Yeah, like, yeah, some of the ridiculous stuff, like, the fact that they only pee once a year, I think. <laughs> I have to pee. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, ceremony out of karaoke. That was the other one that just, yeah, my karaoke. Oh my gosh, yeah. And then (laughs) when he tries to convince everyone he's funny, oh, yes, oh, Oh, uh, so painful. When he took, oh, who, who, no, that was his wedding. Like when, when, uh, Malloy was trying to be like the best man. Because mm-hmm. he thought he could throw a better party. Oh, right. was that when Isaac was getting married? Right, and then Bordas was, was so like, upset that... "Oh gosh, yes." <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, like uh, I think one of you had mentioned, like when they had when when him and he was chasing Clyden through the woods naked as part of that <laughs> that ceremony of getting back together. Um, oh. yeah, good good stuff, good stuff. 
Uh, Ragnar, what are your thoughts on Bordas? Oh, I, I love him. I think he's I think he's a, a great character. He, he's very funny because he isn't supposed to be funny. He just, you know, he's very <laughs> literal. Um, but he's also pretty darn tough. And you can tell that he has ethics. And you can tell that he's intelligent. He's not just, you know, brawny dude smash things. They could have gone that way with, with his character, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the episode where his daughter is kidnapped and and him and Kelly have to go rescue her. Oh, so good, man! That's that's a, you know that's a mm-hmm. great episode. Um, and uh, yeah, you can just see the 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 rage when he finds the guy who's been torturing his daughter. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, if anything, I feel like they kind of held back a little bit there. I think they almost mm-hmm. should have let Bordas go a little bit further with that. But, uh, you know, you have to balance the show with what it's rated and, and yeah. so on. Um, but no, I, I think he's a great character. And um, I initially like Clyden, but then, of course, when he becomes very misogynistic, it's hard to like him. I did like that he eventually came around. Um and I think the two of them are really funny. I think it's like we found the two biggest, toughest black guys we could, and then we made them gay. I think that's just <laughs> so funny. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I, I think Bordas is fantastic. I would definitely watch a show where he was the captain. I think that would be – I think that would be great. Um, I think he probably gives a strong enough performance that he could be the lead in his own show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, Bordas is fantastic. Excellent. And Ray. Oh, and it's also really oh. funny when they, they uh, make him eat all the weird things. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, was a, that was a pretty good joke. And they, they kept that joke going for a while. Uh, yeah. The Mockland digestive system can basically eat anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah Ray, Ray, your thoughts on Bordas? Uh, I think he was honestly one of the strongest parts of the show um, for a lot of the reasons that you guys have all mentioned. Uh, I really like how they took this hyper-aggressive, militarized uh, species and basically made them talk like Vulcans in this very deadpan, over-serious sort of way. I think that just worked phenomenally well. Um, And I liked all the small, like, but like you guys mentioned, the smoking, the mustache, the peeing, all the the small the little one offs. God, that was funny. <laughs> and I did feel like kind of a bit of a Riker nun too. Yeah. And I, I really um, one of the things I appreciate most about the show is that it's honestly concerned with its characters and its consequences for their actions. So right off the bat, in one of the first episodes, we had that. Uh, issue with Topa's birth, or the the, uh, the episode with Topa's birth, and I was kind of expecting that to just be resolved, well, whatever the resolution is, that's what it is, and now we're going forward. But we see throughout the series both the repercussions on the, like, grand political scale, but also on the, like, mind, the very, very small relationship 
scale of, of what this does to a family unit and mm-hmm. the resentment that uh, that Bordas feels to, to Clyden and how he withdraws and he throws himself into his work and, and neglects uh, Clyden and throws himself into his work and porn, to be fair, <laughs> which is also another great bit, how they, they balance that little storyline of Bordas has a porn addiction and the computer got a virus from it. Mm-hmm. Right. There was a serious, you know, bit behind that of he feels resentful towards Clyde for what he did to their daughter. He is, you know, withdrawing. He's, he's, it, they really make this feel like a character who is messily going through things with people he loves, but doesn't always like. And I just, I think it was just done so well. Yep. Yeah, no, it, it was definitely fascinating. It, it, I totally forgot about the whole porn thing. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to rewatching the Orville because there's some episodes I only watched the one time, like when it originally aired. So I'm, I imagine there's a lot of things I've forgotten. So I'm mm-hmm. looking, I'm looking forward to, to getting back and doing a rewatch. I've, um, I've watched it three times now, and I think the third time was my favorite time through. Um, <laughs> It it's a really good show. It it really it really holds well, up. It's well done. It, does. it it holds up. It's it stands up. Excellent, excellent. Um, all right. So I think we'll call this an episode. We'll definitely get into more discussing like the different aspects of the Orville, like like the krill and and. Um, the various admirals, you know, like Ted Danson was an admiral, and and um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name, the Admiral Halsey, uh, Victor yeah. Garber, mm-hmm. Victor Garber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was awesome. But anyway, we'll we'll definitely get into talking more about you know in depth as we break down the seasons, which we, you know it's January, so we'll f- revisit this. We'll revisit season one in March. But for February's episode of Trek 1701 the Beta Crew and I, and I haven't talked to the to the, the crew about this till just now. I just had this idea today of doing an episode where um we have to it I'm calling it a fantasy draft for us, for our skeleton crew. And what I mean is, like, for anyone who knows, you know, like, sports fantasy drafts, like, whether it be baseball or hockey or whatever, football, um, you get the, you have certain positions that you need to fill, and then you get to pick, pick um, who gets to fill that position, but you can, you know, amongst your pool, so there will be four of us, we can only pick one character and then once that character is picked by one of us, it can't be picked by another character. So we need to find someone else to fill that position. So some of the positions will be like captain, first officer, doctor, chief engineer, security officer, and maybe navigator. Um, so you can pick any character from the Star Trek universe um, unless it's already been that character's already been picked. So we'll and we'll randomly draw who gets to go first in the draft, and then we'll take it from there. So like for like say Ragnar gets to pick first, so he gets to pick his his captain, so he picks Captain Cisco. 
So, so if you know me so well, so if if uh, if Stephanie gets second pick, she can't pick Captain Cisco, so she can pick Captain Picard. Ray goes next; she can't pick either of those, so she has to pick a different captain, and 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 so it goes. And then, so, question? Sure. Can we pick someone in this in the universe that's not part of Starfleet? Can I be like, I want Quark to be my captain? Yep, going for it. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yes, you could, but at the end of the draft, <laughs> yeah, once we have our crews picked out, then we, the four of us, vote on who has the best crew. So okay. it, it was, it was clearly okay. a joke example. I'd have him as chief medical officer, clearly. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I mean, if you had Quark as captain and you had him up against Cisco and Picard and Kirk and, you know, chances are he's not going to, you know, you're not gonna do well, but I mean, you might be doing well with your other picks. But I could, but Colonel Ducat is the head of security, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, like you literally, you, you literally could have anybody. Um, you know, as long, you know, the only the only uh, rule I would say is you can't have a character who has godlike power. So you can't like have Q, Q or Trelane. Yeah. Or, you know, someone like that, that, you know, they can, they can literally do anything with a snap of a finger or whatever. You can't, it, ha it has to be like a, um, a normal character, like someone who doesn't have extraordinary abilities. Right. Fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's reasonable. So, yeah, so anyway, it, and the reason why I thought about this is because this year I was in a fantasy hockey pool and I didn't fully understand what I was doing, so, like, I'm doing, like, the worst in that pool. Um, so I think I got a shot at, at, at a good Star Trek pool. But, <laughs> put it in the Star Trek terms, we're good. But it all... I feel confident I'll do better at this than any sports thing. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it, but again, it depends on when you go, though, right? Like, if you got first pick mm -hmm. or second pick or so on. Um, so, yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't depend on when I go for the sports thing. I, I will be awful at that <laughs> yeah and 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 i i was also awful as well but uh anyway um so that that'll be our february episode and and i'll i'll message you guys the details um in in the coming weeks so that'll be our february episode um but before we go let's play that little game of where we can find you on the internet uh ray where can we find you uh, here, that's about it. Um, I'm not very uh, public facing on the internet, so hi everybody here while I'm here, and that's about it. Perfect. Uh, Stephanie, where can we find you? Uh, probably easiest place to find me would be on Facebook. I have a group called The Bean Counter at Vincent's mm. Coffee Connection. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Uh, you can find me here as well at the Pop Culture Pub Podcast Network. Um, we got episodes of, uh, aside from Trek 1701, we also do uh, the Pop Culture Pub podcast, and we do Geek Follow Reloaded, which is a news and discussion podcast based in, in pop culture. So we talk about pop culture stuff. So that is here at the Pop Culture Pub Podcast Network. Ragnar, where can we find you? Well, uh, RagnarTheTrader.com is my website. Uh, I... Uh, one of my New Year's resolutions this year is I'm going to stop lying to myself that I'm ever going to actually really work that website to its maximum potential. 
Um, it's there. There's a few things for sale. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of information, uh, especially about my upcoming shows. And uh, that's probably as good as I'm ever going to get it. <laughs> so um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, looking forward to shows starting again this year, but I don't have anything for almost a month. So I'm still just at home trying to rebuild stock. Excellent. And um, like I, I quit drinking almost two years ago. So I hadn't been using the horn mug, but I did use it recently because I bought some of that Budweiser Zero, um, just because I wanted to use my horn mug so much. Because yeah. Ra Ragnar makes awesome horn mugs. Well, thank um, you. Oh, they're beautiful. Yeah. Um, and Chris, you you can drink like uh, soda out of it and stuff too. It doesn't have. Yeah. Doesn't have to you can you can have Coke or Pepsi or whatever you like but, in there. But but I don't feel like a Viking if I do that. You know, like drink, drinking <laughs> ale, I feel like a Viking. Yeah. You know, I guess cranberry juice, I could pretend it's wine, I guess. Or grape yeah. juice. Yeah, yeah, you can do juice. Uh... But, no, no, like it, it was great drinking, uh, you know, be, using air quotes beer, even though it's, there's no alcohol. It, 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 was, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, in the here's a fun fun trivia about the Viking Age. In the Viking Age, um, every house had its own beer, like every household, and it was called small beer. And you drank it for breakfast, and it was basically just non-alcoholic beer, or or beer mm -hmm. with a you know one percent alcohol content. And because uh, of course beer has a lot of calories in it, mm -hmm. uh, it's something you can produce fairly easily fairly cheaply and uh it tastes good and it's uh you know got a lot of calories in it and so yeah small beer is what they called it and i think something what you're drinking right now would be not too far off excellent excellent um all right well i believe we can call this an episode so on my on my, uh on behalf of all of us my name is chris lockhart I was joined by Ragnar, Stephanie, and Ray, and this was Trek 1701, and we were discussing uh, the Orville, and we will see you again in about a month. Good dog.